This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Father, we thank you this week that has passed. May we thank you for this day that we have. Father, as we come before you, we pray that your Holy Spirit be with us. That as we open up your word, that God, your word will speak to us. So that when we speak to you, that you will be according to your word and according to what your spirit has taught us to. Pray and give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, someone once said that singing connects the mind and the heart. I wonder if you agree with that. Someone else says, what I can't explain, I can find a song that can. Now, we see the magic of singing displayed in countless concerts where songs are drawing out the emotions of the people who gathers there. People who are quiet, maybe a housewife, a quiet um, accountant, as they gather into a, a concert hall, they begin to sing and they begin to let loose. Well, I'm not an expert with music or singing at all, but singing has something that is amazing or magical about it. It connects people from all walks of life to a common theme, to the lyrics of the song. So whether we sing a school song, a national anthem, an Olympic theme song, a pop concert, the songs that everyone sings somehow just connects everyone on a similar theme. Well, singing becomes a very important part of a Christian's life as well as people of God. And that's why the Psalms are written to be sung with one heart among God's people. The heartfelt singing of Psalms is like a reflection of our souls. The older you get, the more you love Psalms because the more you appreciate what is written there. It uncovers the thoughts, the emotions, the recognition, the experience that Christians have with his God or her God. Now, we may not always be capable of singing perfectly to God, but often when we come to God's word, we are drawn to want to sing better and to sing more to Him as we grow in knowledge of His character. So when we read Psalms, it becomes a praise not just of the reader, it becomes a a praise that we, we want to connect in to praise with Him. Now, a few weeks ago, when we first started on the Kalua Chorus, we, we began with Psalm 146 to praise the salvation that God has made available to us. We are drawn to the lyrics of trusting God instead of the princes of this world. Because human dies, but God is eternal and He's eternal promise keeper. We are called to sing praises to Him because we get to enter into the promise of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we jump and hop into Psalm 147 the following week and we skip past the vast universe that God has created. If you were here and Pastor Andrew was preaching, he showed you slice after slice of, of the universe that was there and it shows us the amazing reality of God's greatness. If at that moment we're listening to Psalm 147 and we pause for just that moment and let the greatness of God sinks in, 147 becomes an amazing psalm because it tells us a God of the universe, He actually borders for small little creatures like you and me, that we are but a momentary spark in this grand universe, but He cares. Psalm 147 tells us He cares for 
for the broken hearted, he binds up the wounds of his people. He delights for those little people who fears him. We're called to praise him for being our Lord. And then last week, we stepped into Psalms 148. And almost like little children, we're invited to sit on the slide of the creation and slide from the highest of heavens down to the deepest of earth. We saw how Psalms 148 tells us that the heavens, the angels praise the Lord. The, the heavenly host, the sun, the moon, the stars, they praise the Lord. And as you take the slide down to the deepest ocean, the creatures praise the Lord. And we looked up, we see the mountains praising the Lord. As we tilt our head looking around at the fruit trees, everything that is the handiwork of God praises Him. Just now during lunch while we are eating, some of the guys were thinking of talking about climbing mountains and, and see the greatness of, of the, the mountains. And as I was listen to, listening to it, it comes to mind 148 from last week. Because if you are someone who climbs the mountains, what do you hope to see? You hope to be there when the dawn comes. Because guess what? You know that dawn will come. Because the sun at the right time will always turn up. He'll always show up to praise the God who made him. And he's there to show up to wake the world who all had life, to wake up and supposedly to sing praise to the one who has given him or her another day. So the Psalms draws us to praise the God as we are filled with more and more knowledge of this amazing God. In fact, as we wake up, as we look down at the creation at the first beat of a heartbeat, it's almost like the tambourines or drums that beat and our breath like the music to say, and he made us. In fact, that's how Psalms 148 ended and this is what it says. And he raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. In fact, last week, as the psalm ended, it brought one more thing for, for humans, that what God has given to all creation, he's given us even more. He gave us the horn of salvation, the horn of his strength, the Lord Jesus Christ, such that we, of all people, should praise him even more. All who are faithful, whether it's kings or princes, men or women, young or old, whoever recognize that God has helped them close to his heart, are prompted to praise him because that's the most natural thing, to sing hallelujah to the Lord. And so today, as we step into Psalm 149, the second last psalm of the Psalter, we are called once again to express hallelujah to the Lord, to sing that song once more, and to fill with even more reasons to praise Him. And so this is how today's psalm began. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of His faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing and make music to Him with tambourine and harp. Just take a moment and look at the first three verses in, in your bulletin or in the screen if it's up there. Notice how the words sing, praise, rejoice, gladness, they're used to describe the people, the assembly of faithful people, the people of Zion. And they're gathered to sing 
not not an old song, but they're called to sing an, a new song, an outpouring of new praises, of new joys, of new emotions that matches the freshness of joy. You know, if someone who sings, there'll be some songs that you you, you don't really like to sing because it is boring and it doesn't stir up any emotions. But other songs, you can sing forever and, and, and they, they stir up your emotions and joy. And this is what the psalmist calls. He calls the assembly, sing to the Lord a new song and evoke that fresh and joyful emotion towards the Lord. Verse 2, your maker, your king. Now, I, I remember a fresh song that I sang 13 years ago um, when I got married in uh, a church nearby. And um, I decided when, when the march in comes in, when my wife walks in, I'm not going to have someone play a CD. I'm going to sing for her. So I sang and I sang. I practiced the song thousands of times until that final day I kind of croak a little bit. But it was a fresh song when my wife comes in. And now every time when I re- hear that song, it, it's just a fresh song again. Because it reminds me of the treasure that Christ or God has given me to share. It is a fresh song. And, and here, if you imagine for a moment that the psalm that's being sang, the psalmist is calling the large crowds of Israelites, thousands upon thousands, and say, Praise the Lord with dancing. Even more so, praise the Lord with your voices, with singing. Praise Him like never before, the exuberant joy. Praise Him. This new song from their heart should come out because of the fresh lyrics that stays in their mind. So this picture of the Jews expressing themselves through singing, through dancing and music, they're deep in their culture, maybe not ours, Maybe some of us have two left feet like me, but not, but not for them. It's deep in their cultures. Their greatest king, David, when the ark of God comes in to the, the promised land, he goes out and danced like crazy with the lowly servants to the point that his wife despised him. Songs and music brings out the emotions. But then, of course, we read on in Jewish history, there were times when the people hung up their string instruments. They cried, they refused to sing when they were out and exiled in Babylon. You know, songs, dance, instruments, they speak volumes to the Israelites' emotional, physical, spiritual conditions. And there are many great occasions in the Israelites' life where singing and dancing was so appropriate. Now we may ask, what is the hype about 149 anyway? What stirs up such singing and dancing? And the psalmist come, says it comes from this. It comes from the people's relationship with their Lord. The Lord who loves them. Look at verse 4, verse 5 with me. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. Now, one of the most heart-wrenching emotions that we can read, we can watch on news or in movies or in dramas, is this heart-wrenching emotion, the emotion of being deprived of love from people who should love you, from people that you long for love. 
It's a heart-wrenching thing when you see love being deprived of children from their parents or from their, their um, people who are meant to protect them but abuse them. No, recently I watched a reality TV show that uh, I don't know if my wife or Golda introduced. Uh, I shall not tell you the name, but one of the contestants, whenever they interview her, she's always in tears, and she'll always say that she wants to win the competition so that she can get a nod from her dad for approval. I don't think she's the only one. It could be dramatized, it could be real, but many people would have experienced that the heart-wrenching part of not having the love of people they, they want so much from. But that is not the song of 149. Because here, this is not the relationship between Israel and the Lord. The psalmist says the Lord delights in His people. You know, those who trust in Him humbly, the Lord crowns with victory. They don't need to go for competition to earn a crown. The Lord gives it to them. He loved them so much, those who humbles before Him, they don't need to earn a temporal crown. The Lord Himself gives them a divinely given crown of a victor. And that's the motivation of their praises and the songs that they sing. In fact, for all people who are God's people, that verse 4 is a beautiful verse. Those who humble before the Lord, the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Such was their joy that even when they are exhausted from dancing, when they go to bed and sleep, the smile stays in their faces. The praise of the Lord stays with them. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah, praise. Isn't that amazing if we could sing that kind of song? Well, by now, maybe you will be curious what actually happens. What did the Lord how did the Lord delight in them and what kind of crown He wants to crown them? In fact, what occasion brings this praise? It might surprise you because it did when I first read it. Look at how it's unfold in verse 6. May the praise of God be in their mouths and listen, and a double-edged sword in their hands. Let me read that again. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Well, it turns out that this Hallelujah Chorus is not a concert, a country song concert where people come and do their neon lights. It's actually a war song. People are not holding neon lights or concert tickets. They're holding swords, double-edged sword, to praise God for vengeance. Look at verse 6 again. Their praise the Lord goes with their raised swords. This Hallelujah Chorus in 149 turns out to be quite a different praise compared to the other Hallelujahs that we have been looking at. This is a praise of God that their enemies were being put down. In fact, let me read on verse 7 to 9 to give us further details the way the battles are being understood. Verse 7, to inflict vengeance on the nations, to punish and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, chains, their nobles with shackles of irons, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Now, whether the psalmist has a particular war in mind, we're not told, 
and without the superscription of the authors, none of the Hallelujah chorus have them. We don't know the timeline of this. But perhaps, perhaps 146 refers to Israel's victory over Egypt of long ago, when God used Moses to bring them out. Because, because Moses had a similar song in, in Exodus 15, 1 to 18, where he led Israel to sing a song of victory of the Lord. He sang of how the Lord opened and closed the sea and destroyed the enemies. And Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron, or Moses' sister, she was dancing with tambourines. Let me read this for us from Exodus 15, 19 to 21. Where Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen Went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horses and driver he has hurled into the sea. But perhaps 149 could be a reminder of their victory over Egypt. Or perhaps, perhaps it's about Israel's victory through Joshua as they conquered the Canaan land, the, the promised land in Canaan. Or perhaps it could be David's victory over the giant Goliath. After all, when he was still a young man, when all the Israelites were afraid, he, he ran ahead, chopped off the head of the giant, and they shouted when they saw the rolling head down. They shouted with loud joy and with war cry and their hand with knives and, and swords and they charge in and destroy the enemies. Well, what could Psalm 149 be? Reference to the war in Egypt, in Canaan, the Philistines? We're actually not told. And actually, we do not need to be told. For the point of Psalm 149 is that the Lord lifts up His humble people from the pits and crown them with victory. Their victory, or this hallelujah, is a victory against other nations and kings to inflict vengeance, to bind the chain with chains, and to carry out sentence. Now the gathering of the thousands to praise the Lord here would probably be very different when we first want to imagine, right at the beginning. This man were not dancing with tambourines, not with the ladies, not with concert tickets, no, with their Coca-Cola in hand, they were holding swords, raising a war cry. Psalm 149 is a praise derived from victory over the enemies of Israel. Now, perhaps as we read this psalm, we were already praised just now as we were thinking about praising. It starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Perhaps 149 may be a hallelujah chorus for the ancient Israelites. But can you and can me actually sing it? The language of vengeance sounds pretty unsettling. Are we to sing one for nine when people we dislike falls? When the supposed Christian country wins a battle against another country? When someone who claims God's name and go to war? Are we to sing hallelujah when wars are won? Are wars worth singing about? Could we in our 21st century sing with the ancient Israelites, Psalm 149, a song of vengeance. To praise God when Israel's enemy were destroyed, whether it's from Egypt right into Canaan, the Egyptians' army in Red Sea, the wars against the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the 
Amorites, Canaanites, the Geshites, the Jebusites, and all the various sites and the Philistines. Is it praises that we could sing with ancient Israelites just by opening it and saying 149? Is it applicable to you? Is it applicable to me? Could we sing hallelujah over any wars around us when we see it? Well, for us to sing Psalm 149 from verse 1 to 6a where we had enjoyed for a moment flipping and jumping and listening, we need to have, we must be able to acknowledge the rest of Psalm 149 from 6b, the raising of the sword right to the end to verse 9, the victory over what is known as holy wars. Can we actually sing 149? Well, for us to consider the relevance of Psalm 149, we have to go back to understand what is involved in these ancient wars by Israel. Not the present time, but back then, the so-called holy wars. And I just want to mention two things about the holy wars that is sung here and in the Old Testament. First of all, the ancient Israel they are actually often God's means to bring execution of judgment in the Old Testament. The ancient Israel is often God's means to execute judgment in the Old Testament. The people in Israel, they are not merely a nation to display the power of God. The people, the ancient Israels, they are men to execute God's justice. When you look at verse 6 to 9 with me, you, we are meant to recognize the enemies that Israel defeated. They are actually also enemies of God, people who have sinned against God. They are people who have committed evil before the Lord and their judgment is due. And Israel is God's executioner of judgment. In fact, there is this incident long before Israel was even born, where God was speaking to the father of Israel, to Abram. And he said this, Your people, your children will come back to this land to occupy the place that you're standing. I'm going to give it to them, but not yet. The time is not yet. And let me read to you what God said from Genesis 15, verse 15. You, Abram, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God was speaking to Abraham, or Abram, and he says, I'm going to give you this land, and you'll conquer the land and the people. But the time will come when their sin has reached the brim. You'll come back and occupy the land and attack what I've called you to attack. So it's clear, even as you look at Psalm 149, the last part, that God had already written His judgment as sentences for them. So this sort of holy war that Israel had, is not something that as Christians in our time, are able to hold. So this sort of holy war is no longer true for us because Christians, we, we no longer have this, what ancient Israel had to declare a geographical holy war. As God's people, as God's enemies are no longer defined geographically because even in the darkest place, you have God's people there trusting in Him. Now that's the first thing. The ancient Israel is God's means to execute judgment in the Old Testament. The second one that I just want to bring up as well is that the sentence and the judgment are actually given by the king of Zion and not by the people. And so the supreme victory, it always belongs to the king 
is the people who are merely rallying behind the king. So if you look at verse 2 or 1, 4, 9, God is recognized as the king of Zion. If you look at verse 8 to 9, he's the one who claims, chains the rebellious kings and give them their sentence, their judgment. Now as you look at this second last psalm of the Psalter, it is actually quite interesting. There is echoing a lot of repetition, not from the second last psalm, but the second psalm, right at the beginning, where God presents the king and the rebellious kings who wants to get out of chains. Let me read to you from Psalm 2. That's the conspiracy of nations and kings against God himself. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse 3, it means let us turn away and break away the laws and the ways of God because we run the world. So that's their view. Their view of God's law and truth are chains and shackles. They want to overthrow God. But if you have read Psalm 2, which we have done last year, you'll see that Psalm 2 carries on with God laughing. And God says, you are not going to get out of that. But you... You better be warned to repent, to worship, to kiss my king that I've anointed in Zion, or you will end in destruction. So the second point in Psalm 149 that we are saying, the Hallelujah Chorus, it is all about God's victory. It's not just about people's victory against enemies. It's God's victory, and he is the one who gives judgment, and he's the one who saves them. It is those people who rallies behind him, enjoy salvation, and those who are against him that faces judgment. So now, how do you and I sing Psalm 149? Now, we have to sing, not the way the ancient Israelites can sing, but we have to sing with a greater victory and a greater judgment based on our greater King of Zion that we know is our Lord Jesus Christ because He came here to bring salvation. He came here to bring judgment and so Jesus, the one who was actually prophesied in Psalm 2, in fact all the Psalm in the Old Testament, he comes in and he has declared that his kingdom is not geographical, neither is his victory or his judgment. So let me read to you the account when Jesus explains his kingdom on the very morning before he dies. And this is what he says before he was hung on the cross, for the battle of his people, to bear the consequence of sin, to overcome death, to separate his kingdom, people, and those who are not. Let me read to us what Jesus said in John 18. John 18, verse 33 to 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus said, Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate said, replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. Is What is it you have done? Jesus said, listen to this, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You said that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens 
to me. No, Jesus, he came as the promised king of Israel. In fact, the king beyond geography. He is the king God declared to be his own son. And all who listens to the king goes on the side of truth. And all who rejects the truth faces his judgment. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, how do we sing 149? We sing Psalm 149 in view of the appearing of the King of Zion, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing 149 in view of the victorious freedom that the King has come to bring. And we sing 149 in view of the judgment that King of Zion will bring to defeat his enemies. In fact, listen to these words about our victory that we gain through the victory of our King. That um, It's not Apostle Paul, but the writer of Hebrew writes uh, this. This is in Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Let me read this for us. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shed in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. No, in Hallelujah Chorus from, verse, from 146 up to next week in 150, we are able to sing praises to the Lord, not because we just sing blindly and open up the Psalms as if we are an Israelite. We can't. But we can sing it because in view of Jesus the King, we become the new Israel and we are people who look forward to the new Zion where our King will rule and we will be safe with Him and receive the great victory and to acknowledge the deeper judgment of evil that will come. So now as we come back to Psalm 149 and look at verse 6 again, let me read this for us just one more time. May the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hand. We are reminded of our call to praise our God, to sing the battle cry of hallelujah. We are to praise God with our mouth because He is the one who sent the King of Zion, to save us. But we are to praise God with raised sword in our hands. But not physical sword. It's the spiritual sword that Paul would have said, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in Ephesians 6, 17. We are to raise the spiritual sword of truth. Because that is the truth, that is the sword that has brought us life. You know, the hallelujah from our mouths, according to Psalm 149, will be, authenticated by our holding out God's very word in our hands. It's not just singing and going home, but our singing, our praising of God, if we are to sing 149, will and must be authenticated by a risen sword of the Spirit, the word of God. So we are to praise the Lord by holding out God's word and our hallelujah sung when we speak about Jesus, about his gospel, about sin. And about rescue, our hallelujah, yours and mine are sung when we reject sin and the evil in our lives, resisting temptation and persevering in persecution. Our hallelujah is sung to the Lord when we raise the sword of truth that God's glory is more important than yours and mine. It's more important than our other human relationship. It's more important than our own honor. It's more important than our own comfort. Because that is what the sword of truth declares. And our hallelujah, yours and mine are sung when we raise the truth that God's people are corrected 
by truths, and God's enemies are revealed by truths. Our hallelujah to the Lord as we praise and dance and sing for Him, and are able to sing and praise Him even in beds, not with tears but with thanksgiving, is when we are holding on to the truth as well, that His truth divides the world, saving those who are humble before Him, that He crowns by bringing judgment and sentence to those who will rebel against the King. Because there is only one King of Zion, which is Jesus. Those who are able to sing hallelujah are also those people who are able to hold the word of truth. Now the day of the King's return for judgment is going to come. The sentence of the enemies is on the way. But meanwhile, we are called to sing hallelujah holding out God's word, the double-edged sword, making available salvation to those who will come in with us, and also bringing the point of warning to those who would not. Now the Apostle Paul describes this spiritual warfare we have in Second Corinthians. Let me read to you how he described yours and mine warfare and praise to God. Second Corinthians 10, 3-5, this is what Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we are called to sing, Psalm 149, in view of our king of Zion, the victory he has, the judgment that he will bring. Now, So as we draw a close to this hallelujah chorus, we are called to actually join all the other Christians to praise the Lord who loves and delights in those who are humble before him, who are pleased to crown victory over those who are poor in spirit. We are called to sing together with them and raise the sword, the double-edged sword of truth that shines salvation and warns of judgment. Because if you and I will sing this, not in a geographical way, but in the spiritual way of the victory against the enemies of sin and death against the devil and those who are on him, on his side, if we are to sing this, incomplete as it sounds here, we will be ready and be invited to sing on that perfect Psalm 149 when God returns. In fact, there is a perfect Psalm 149 in a sense in Revelation. In Revelation 19, there was this thing. If you have written your NIV, I think, or ESV, they will say the threefold hallelujah of God's judgment of Babylon. And let me just read to you the first hallelujah from Revelation 19. It says this, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Well, dear friends, the song we sing now in Psalm 149, if we sing it correctly, prepares us to sing 
with the great multitude that is not just about us, but all creations, the elders, the creatures that God has created together as God brings His glory above all others and He brings judgment against those who would not. And those who are able to sing are those who have received the crown that we do not deserve, but He delights in giving to us. So as I close this time, perhaps it's a good time. We have never sang 149 in this context in view of Christ. It's a great time to sing it together. So I want to close by praying Psalm 149 together, or by sing. I wouldn't sing it, but I'll, I'll say it. And if you'd like to, you can sing it or say it with me. I'll just close by saying Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of His faithful people. Let Israel, or new Israel, rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing and make music to Him with tambour and harp. For the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let His faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punish on the pe- punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings and fetters, with fetters their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.